Hey, all my IFG friends, this is Steve. I want to say, you know, if you like movies like I do, we've started a new podcast called Happy Hour Flicks. Uh, you can find it anywhere podcasts are found. It's all about nostalgic movies that we love, and we bring on special guests each episode, and we also have specialty cocktails made for each one, too. So it really is an hour of a good time talking about movies that we love, like Gremlins, uh, Seven, uh, Free Willy. Uh, we talk about The Last Starfighter also. So, I mean, we kind of run the gamut across all the decades and really have a great time. So I wanted to invite you to come over and join us at Happy Hour Flicks, anywhere podcasts are found. This is the, the independent, independent, independent filmmaker's guide from Framework Productions. Framework, Framework Productions. This is the Independent Filmmaker's Guide podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Pierce. Now, filmmaking consists of many moving parts, all working together cohesively. One of the most visible of those parts is obviously the actor. Today, I'm taking a look at the process of the actor and discussing the perspective, lessons, and workflow of navigating many different sets. You will have seen my guest today on The Punisher, Broad City, Quantico, and much, much more, actor Todd Allen Crane. Todd, thanks very much for coming on and just talking to shooting the shit with me. Thank you so much for having me. This is fun. It's going to be fun. <laughs> so how did you how did you come to be uh, like a not lawyer? What bad decisions did you make in your <laughs> lifetime to end up being so in front many, of the camera? <laughs> so many bad decisions were made a long time ago. Um, I uh, actually started in high school like a lot of people do. And um, a friend of mine convinced me to, to audition for the musical at, at the spring musical in my junior year of high school. And I was like, mm, no, thanks. And then I did it and I was in it and I thought, oh my God, this is kind of magical. And so what it kind musical? of started, it was Guys and Dolls. Of so course. the show starts with this fugue for Tin Horns, which is the first uh, sung song in the show. And I was one of those three guys. And it was like the most exciting thing I'd ever experienced. And so from that, I, I went to school. I went to university and um, I have a musical theater degree. That's what I went to school for. So I moved to New York City 13 days after I graduated and all I wanted was to be in a big fat Broadway musical. That's it. That was my goal. And then I got here and realized how hard that was. That was real tough. Uh, and then it started this other journey of trying to figure out exactly how to get there, how tough it was, and how many other areas of this business there were to work in, especially as a young actor just moved to the city. And you're not 100% sure of what it is that you're going to end up doing. And where this business is going to accept you or not. And um, eventually, it took a lot of years to get here, but I ended up on TV and I found a home that I love. And I didn't know that I was going to love it as much as I do. And um, it's afforded me a lot of opportunities that I didn't have and wouldn't have had had I taken the Broadway route. So the, the main difference, of course, is the fact that you're doing literally a different thing every single day that you're on set. Um, as opposed to a Broadway show where you're doing literally the same thing eight times a week. And that's, that's a huge difference right there. And um, I love it. I love where I've, where I've landed. So you kind of fell backwards into acting in television and film. Correct. Yeah. This was not a goal. I'd never even considered it. We didn't, we had one TV and film class in college and I took it and it was fun. And I thought this will never happen. So I'm going to focus on what my major is, which is musical theater. And so I, 
I moved here with that in mind. And then everything, the rug kind of got pulled out from under me and, and I ended up hosting a lot of things. So that was in my introduction to on camera. So I met this company in Connecticut that were, they were a very small company and they were doing kids educational videos and they needed a host. And so I learned how to use a teleprompter and hosted my own uh, educational kids videos for elementary grade school, uh, school kids. And I did probably 27 of those videos, which was wow. great. It was a really great experience and working on camera and work, figuring out what works and what doesn't in terms of a host. And then um, I ended up hosting a lot of other things. I hosted the television game show Jeopardy, um, which is kind of an offshoot of everything else that I've done. I've hosted 196 full games of Jeopardy with the IBM computer Watson. So that was, I mean, it's been a kind of a crazy career, but I'm really lucky to have found any opportunity to work in this business because every actor that you talk to will tell you the very first thing that it's kind of hard. You know, if you're making right. a decision to get into it, you got to be prepared for the downtime. Yeah, and absolutely. For the disappointment. So yeah. I, I have a similar story. Like I got a degree yeah. in musical theater um, oh, and yeah. didn't honestly know, I came from the middle of nowhere, just didn't know what I wanted to do. And then once yeah. I figured it out, it was that I wanted to be a director. I was already halfway through a conservatory. So it was too, kind of too late, you know, to not and like restart or finish. So I finished, moved to New York, did the same thing, did the auditioning right. thing and ultimately moved to doing other stuff. So how do you approach, what is your approach differently? Because theater is really different. Like it's a long process of yeah. collaboration and kind of learning what the piece is and learning what the character is and learning your track across three, four weeks. Film is show up on set. You could be shooting within the hour and you could be done in two if you have under five lines. So what's your, so what's your approach? So I have to say that from my own personal experience, and if you ask that question of 50 different actors, you're going to get 50 different answers. But from my experience, having the theater background and taking the time over those three weeks to learn a character, to figure out exactly who that character is. That was a really great training ground for the downhill snowball effect of television. There's no time for you to spend three weeks getting to know a character because you get, you might land a job uh, two days before it shoots. So and one of those days has to be your costume fitting. So you don't have a lot of time to figure it all out. So all of the training that I had doing theater really assisted me in condensing down the process of figuring out who someone is so that when I get to set, I'm ready to go. There's an immediate, I have a set of circumstances. I know where this guy came from. I know what his relationships are with the people who I'm interacting with on set um, in the scene. I know why I say the things that I do, and um, that wouldn't have been possible for me had I not had the training as a stage actor, because it's so in-depth, it's so time-consuming, there's so many details that you have to go through as a stage actor to make your performance as believable and relatable to a giant 1,500-seat audience as possible, but now you don't have a 1,500-seat audience, you've got a glass round circle that you're, you're playing everything to. So you've got to make that switch in your head. And lucky, luckily enough, I was able to make that switch fairly easily. But because I had so many years of theater background training, yeah, because also so, you may not even know if you're doing on these different shows, it might be a new series you've never seen before, unreleased with a director right. you've never worked before. How do you <laughs> determine the tone of performance and what you're going to bring? 
Yeah, that's an excellent question. So that exact scenario happened with Broad City, the first season of Broad City that, that I did. I played this character named Kevin and I went in to audition. My friend Cody was the casting director and um, I had auditioned, was going into audition for um, the final episode of the first season, which there's a mater D in that episode and he has less than five lines. And so that's what I was going in for. And I didn't know what Broad City was. It wasn't on TV yet. It was literally shooting its first season. So I went in and I did the audition and Cody was like, that's awesome. Can I ask you to do me a favor? And I was like, yeah, sure. And so he said, we just got this, uh, this episode in and it's got this character named Kevin. And I think that maybe you could take a stab at it. And I was like, yeah, sure. And so he handed it to me and it was a lot of material. And I was like, Ugh, I need just a second. Can I go out and look at it? He was like, yeah, need to take your time. So I went out and I looked at it and I was like, oh my God, this guy is a extraordinary. It's really funny. And I know who this is. So I literally spent five minutes, however it took for the last actor to audition while I was in the waiting room. And so I went back in and I did it and I did it one time and they were like, Oh my God, that's amazing. Thank you so much. And that was it. I got the job. And so then I found myself on this set and I had made a series of choices in the waiting room of that audition for that part that I was literally just handed that just happened to fit in with the director's idea and, and Abby and Alana's idea of who this character was when they wrote it. So that just happened to all come together at the same time. So you're taking a risk. It's a calculated risk. Do I understand how this character reacts literally just being given the script? And if that's the case, you stand a much better chance of actually getting that part. If you have to work for it really hard and you have to dig and dig and dig because you're not going to get it in the initial take, then chances are you're not going to get that job. I love those challenges, though. That's one of the greatest things about this business is that in those moments, you can be given a script literally in the room and say, can you do something with this? And because of the background that I have, I have this tool chest and, and that, that I have all of these characteristics that I've collected over the, the years that I've played all of these different types of characters that I can pull out characteristics. And it's like, a, like you see little kids going up into an attic and they open up this chest and there's like a robe and a hat and like a feather boa and like all of this stuff that they put on, they put on for playtime. You know, they're dressing up for playtime. That's exactly what my tool chest is like. I pull out those characteristics and I think, oh, this can be applied to this guy because he's saying this to this type of person. Great. That's fascinating to me. I love those challenges. So I think it's, it, I teach a lot of workshops for, for young actors and, and actors my age and older actors. Um, but it's one of the things that I try to convince people of is to build as much stuff in your tool chest as possible because you never know when you're going to need it. So from that, I created on Broad, Broad City, this character named Kevin. And then they asked me back for the final season of the show because he was such a, a nice hit for the first season. He was like, Alana said to me, this is kind of an Easter egg for the, for the fans. So we, we thought we'd bring back Kevin for the last season. So yeah, it, you have to be smart about this business. It's not just, I'm going to go have playtime. There's a lot of work that goes into it. And again, my theater training really helped that. So you, I mean, and do you find that how much of those, those tools that you're pulling out and that you're using, I mean, if you're just handed a, a role, you don't really have time to really build a character. It's like you're mostly being yourself with a couple of tweaks, right? Correct. That is correct. Yeah. You're, you're, you're given an opportunity and you have to consciously make that decision. Am I going to take advantage of this opportunity and make this what I think it needs to be in order to be entertaining for an audience to watch? 
or am I just going to be a victim to what is written on the page? I so don't ever it, want to be a victim. Have there ever been a scenario where you've gotten um, like a really good note for you, like from a director, like on a set, like maybe whenever you're first learning how to scale the camera? <clears throat> yeah, that that happened actually during The Punisher when I was filming the, this, this season of the last season of The Punisher that was on Netflix. The director we had was from, uh, he had done a lot of the episodes for Downton Abbey, uh, British director, amazing guy. And he said to me that the circumstances of this character, he's been uh, beaten up by John, John's character, um, the Punisher, Frank Castle. Um, so he's bloody and this is not his thing. He's a U.S. senator, so he's not used to like violence, especially being punched in the face by, <laughs> by John Bernthal. <laughs> but um, <laughs> so uh, I, I remember him saying to me that this scene was that I was doing was really overly emotional for this character. And and my director said, he said, I'm. I'm going to need you to pull that back because we're going to see that you're upset. You don't have to show us. And I was like, ah, oh, that's, it's just, it's an important thing for an actor is having a director that knows how to convey a message that means something without 5,000 extra words going into it. I need you to just give me the nut of whatever it is that you're trying to tell me, because if you give me too much, I'm going to get confused. And then I'm going to go back to what I gave you the first time because it's the only thing that I truly understand. So this director had an unbelievable succinctness to what he was saying and how he was saying it. If you give a 40 minute explanation for this one thing that you're trying to achieve in your own head of what you wanna see in the final take, I can't, I can't process all of that information. And he was, he was amazing at his succinctness. He knew exactly what to say and how to say it. Man, you hit the nail on the head for the challenge, yeah. I think, of my career. Like my yeah, constant right. fight is how can I say it in less words, like more effectively yes. with less words. Again, I'll use the theater versus film comparison. I think in the theater, I feel like, or actually reality TV is oddly kind of the same way. We do like competition mm. series once in a while, oh, yeah. but it feels like you're almost like I'm almost the moderator of the group, like the teacher of the class, like you put everybody in here and then it's just constantly them having fun while you're, and that I feel like is the right relationship. You know what I mean? It's like where yes. I'm here pushing the, the bus in a certain direction, but the bus, you know, I'm not part of it. Um, right. Whereas when I'm shooting like a film or a scene with somebody, I feel like it is very important that a relationship exists between me and each actor um, yes. and be very specific because especially because I remember recently we were shooting a scene and it was a very intense, very dramatic scene. And some of the actors in it were a little younger and less experienced. And some of them responded to, you know, old actor games that I remembered from school and like things I could do, like get into a Meisner repeat to get them to where they needed to be emotionally for the take. And others, you just tell them what you want. Like you just tell right. them, you know, I just, I want to see you cry and walk across the room and dismiss them. That's what they yeah. want. And so you That's, got, I mean, for me, I've found I got to have that individual relationship to really be good at, at what I'm doing. Yes. And that, I love the analogy of, of being the teacher in the, in front of the classroom, because as teachers experience every single day, that every single student has a different way of learning. And so you've got to be able to relate to every single kid in the way that they will accept information. That's exactly how we work. Because as you said, on the same set, I can have somebody who is just, it's literally their first experience. And then somebody who's been doing 50 films and I have to talk to them differently. I have to know that I got to figure it out immediately, which class you fit in and what type of language I use. 
Exactly. Like I'm sure there are many times you've met someone like you're meeting the director or the actor that you're doing the scene with right before filming. And so you're oh, yes. still trying to establish that relationship. How do you how do you approach that? That's a, that's an ex- interesting question, because um, I did this film for HBO. It was called Paterno, which was the Joe Paterno story, the, the uh, university coach that was mm-hmm. uh, Pacino was in Al Pacino. Yeah. So um, Barry Levinson was our director for that film. And that's a he's a big director. So I literally didn't meet him until I walked on set to meet my co-star. Like uh, there was no introduction of any kind. They were shooting something prior to me getting there. And so we all just arrived at the same time and he introduced himself and I was like, yeah, I know who you are. And so um, (laughs) that was a, there was no getting to know you process. There was no nothing. And so any, after every take, there would be like a series of notes that he would come up and, and just pass on to me. And that was the extent of our relationship. It's really hard to get to know somebody when you don't get a chance to actually talk to them and build that relationship. So I don't feel like I had a relationship with Barry Levinson. I had a working relationship. I was there to do my job. And luckily I knew how to do my job and I took his notes and did exactly what he wanted. And I felt good about that. And so that's the trophy that you have to walk away with. Sometimes you don't get the opportunity to build a lifelong lasting relationship with someone because you're literally just there for the day and you're gonna do your stuff and you're gonna get out and you're gonna go home and you're gonna audition for the next project. Which is not to say that was the experience that I had on Quantico when I did that show on ABC. So my director for that first episode of Quantico that I did was Jennifer Lynch, David Lynch's daughter. So Twin Peaks, David Lynch. And so I didn't meet her until I got to the set that first day. And the very first thing that she said to me when we introduced ourselves to each other was um, you were exactly what I had in mind when I was thinking about this character. And then I saw your audition. Immediately, we have a relationship because she did that. I didn't say anything. I literally said, hi, I'm Todd. And she said, hi, I'm Jen. And so then she offered that piece of information. And immediately we had this thing. She had information about me that she decided to share in that moment that created this dissolution of all of the walls and there was an immediate trust. I knew exactly that my skill set was what she was anticipating and what she was hoping to get. So immediately all of the pressure is gone. That was amazing. And you don't get that with every director. Not every director is gonna take a chance and build some type of relationship with an actor that they might only work with that one day. Luckily, I was brought back for two more episodes of that show because of the stuff that I did on the set that day. So I was written into two more episodes, which was a huge honor for me. And I have to thank Jennifer Lynch for doing that because it was the very first television show I've ever been on where I've done more than one episode as the same character. That's a very smart note that she gave. Like whether, I mean, I'm sure it was absolutely genuine, but even like the the thing that that does to me, it seems, yeah. is immediately says, you're you're enough. Don't go acting, just be. <laughs> That's brilliant. So let's talk about your kind of career over time. How did you go from booking like the one day on a show to getting multiple episodes? And was that a long trajectory or was it just kind of happenstance? That's a, it's a tough question. And again, you ask 50 actors, you're going to get 50 different answers for that. But um, yeah, it was a long, I think that genetically, I was born looking like this. I am like the the typical Midwestern guy that can kind of play a dick when he needs to. And that's awesome. That seems to be a valuable trait. Um, So 
once that starts to happen and people start to recognize, especially your representation, starts to recognize that you can you can play multiple kinds of roles and you have a certain look about you, that gets you in. And that makes them work harder because then they see you as a moneymaker. And that's what this business is all about from the representation side. They, they want to make you money so that you make them money. And so once that relationship is established that I can work in this business, but I need you to get me out there. Then we both make money. That's how this works. So I got to a point after I was doing these very small parts on, on television shows where I started to get to know casting directors a little bit more. My representation definitely knew my work. So they were a little bit more able to push me in for those larger roles. And then it was up to me. I have to now step up to the next level. So if I'm ready to do that as an actor, then great. Then we're all in this together. But if my representation is, is pushing for me to get into larger roles than I can actually handle, then that's not ever going to happen. Then they're going to get frustrated. You're going to get dropped as a client. And so there's a lot of pressure involved in that. So I've been lucky enough to learn something from every single job that I have ever had since I was in college. It's just something that I try to do. So whenever you're working with an agent, that's I think an interesting thing. Do you ever have a piece or film or show that you want to work on that is you have to go up to bat for with them and you have to say, Hey, I really want to do this, you know, this thing, and they don't want you to do it. And have you ever had that experience? Never that they don't want me to do it. I have had something, several things where I've said, I know that this show is casting now and I would really love to be on it because I loved last season of it. So if there's something that that comes in that I'm right for that you think you can push me for because it's a casting director that I don't know or that I don't know if no, knows my work or not, then let's let's give this a shot. And so I've never had them say, uh, I don't think that you're going to be right for anything on that show. That's that's never a thing. I think that that you have to have such a good speaking of relationships, you have to have the best relationship with your manager because they are the person who is essentially going to push for you to get into auditions that you might not have otherwise been able to get into if you didn't have representation. Um, the, the most important relationship, director, manager, the most re important relationship that any actor has is with a casting director. That's the gatekeeper. That person is the person who makes the decision to bring you in for the audition or not. If you have a good relationship with a, with a casting director, then you're good. You're good. You need to expand that as many times as you can. And luckily, I did uh, an episode of House of Cards, and it, the casting director was Julie Schubert. And so uh, from that one experience, it was such a really good part for me. And it was the very first time that I was ever allowed to get emotional on in a scene. They ended up cutting that from the scene that I was that I was doing with um, Meredith Vieira on the Meredith Vieira show for that for that segment. But um, but she was there. Julie, the casting director, was in the audience, the Meredith Vieira audience, as we were shooting this segment for House of Cards. And it was amazing to be able to do what I thought this character needed to do on camera in this venue and have her be in the audience. So she got to know my work really well that day, which was amazing, as opposed to just coming into my audition, I meet you for five minutes, you do the piece and then you leave and then I send the tape off to the director. She actually got a chance to know who I was. So from that experience, she's the one who brought me in for The Punisher. And I ended up doing four episodes of that show as the same character. So, and it was a, a pivotal part for this, 
for that show. And that relationship is the most important relationship that you will ever have in this business as an actor. I don't, what is the, who is the most important person for you? Is it, is it a relationship that you as a director have with a producer or who do you think has the most weight in terms of what you need to achieve as a director on any set? I think it, again, probably differs for every single person and it might even differ per day. If, cause if you're trying to make a film <laughs> or you're trying to do something like you, you need a vast list of resources and people you can lean on. But I think singularly for me is obviously I've been working with James, my producer, and he's a director in his own right for years. And, you know, I think that relationship is the, probably the most important because it, 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 you know what I mean? It's it's how you decide what to do, when, and what's appropriate, and how you do it, and and also just picks up. You know, you're responsible for so much as a creative lead on something, which is kind of what I view a director as. You know what I mean? You know, no matter what you're yeah. doing, I think it's your. You know, sometimes on TV shows, the showrunner becomes really the person right. that is doing it. Like you know, as a director, as in a feature film. So for me, I think that that is you know probably the relationship that I you know need the most um, is to keep me honest and make sure that my work is constantly pushing and it's the right time to do that. You know, mm. that's that's sometimes the hardest decision is deciding when not to do something. Right. Um, wow. So how do you how but talk about that relationship with the casting director, because also, for instance, for a director, it's very important that you do develop relationships with the casting director, because a lot of independent feature films, how they get funded, how they get distributed and ultimately become a film is by having a an actor in there that can help make sales and help push push the project forward a name, especially as a first time director. The way you get those most times is by knowing a casting director. Mm, so so you, you as a director having a personal relationship with a casting director that you trust. Correct. Or pitching your idea to a casting director and convincing them that, to believe in it because they're kind of the gatekeepers from our side, at least in the beginning, whenever you don't have a reputation as a narrative director to getting with actors. Um, and that's actually where I think a lot of actors get really interesting work, too, is because you can get a really good role that normally you wouldn't get in this situation or you wouldn't be up for in this situation because they push you in a, you know what I mean? In that scenario. So yeah. how did you develop this relationship with all these casting directors? Was it just over time? Yeah, that's exactly right. It's over time and it's, and it's, it's over your reputation. So a casting director is making a choice to bring you in. If they don't know you, they're taking a big chance. So they bring you in for an audition. Let's say you get the part on your very first audition for that casting director. Then you have a responsibility as an actor to go to that set and you got to bring your A game every single damn day because it's not just you and your reputation that you're protecting. You are also protecting the relationship that you have with the casting director who is then going to put trust in you to bring you in for multiple projects that may span television and film and theater and commercials, whatever areas that they choose to work in. So that relationship is really dependent on how you develop your relationships while you are working on set, because they are the gatekeeper. They are the person who makes that decision. Example, to go back to House of Cards and um, to The Punisher. So I did this thing for House of Cards. Julie Schubert brought me in for The Punisher and she sent me that I did not know at the time were dummy sides. So the because it's a Marvel property, it was a Marvel property, now it's a Disney property. Um, they were very secretive in what they would allow uh, the actors to use for um, audition material. 
So they had some of their interns, the writers for The Punisher, had some of their interns actually write out a couple of scenes that would never appear in the show. They were never intended to appear in the show. But the actors don't know that. When you get the sides, they're dummy sides. So you work really hard on it. And you're thinking, this is This might be a scene. I'm, I might this, be shooting this scene this, in three days. Yeah. And what's the greatest thing was this was a giant two-page monologue of a, a U.S. senator giving a press conference. And at the end of the press conference, it gets really emotional and touching for him. And so I went in and I did my thing. And um, <laughs> I, I got the job. And then I get the phone call that um, the audition material that you used is not actually going to be in the show. And I, I, I said, I don't understand. I said, what did I just do? And they were like, well, that's their dummy sides that they're written specifically just for the audition to find a character that can do this. So I asked when I got to the set, <laughs> I asked the head writer of the show because he was there my very first day. I said, can I ask you how you know from writing a dummy side for an actor to go in and do for their audition that has nothing to do with the season or what is actually going to be required of them throughout the season. If you're giving them something that doesn't exist in the show, where's the thought process going? He said, first and foremost, we don't have a choice. Marvel will not allow us to release any part of the script that's not being used on the set that day. So we have no choice but to write dummy sides. And we don't tell the actors that because we want them to put in as much effort as they possibly can. We need can. to see them perform. We need to see that's exactly if you can write. Yeah, yeah. Right. But then I said, answer this part of the second question. I said, the stuff that I have to do in this show is like he gets punched in the face and he has this really emotional outpouring for several days. The first day on the set where I was after I was punched, I had to cry for five and a half hours. I didn't have to do that in my audition. So I said, how do you make that decision that I'm going to be capable of delivering the emotional stuff when I get on set if you've never seen me do that? especially in the audition for the show that you're, you fired me for. And he was like, well, we take a chance. I was like, that is ballsy. That is ballsy. <laughs> I was wondering. what if I had gotten there and just dude, totally you shit the bed? Yeah. I mean, I was wondering whenever you were saying that, I, I, want, I wondered, do they go through the scenes and try and find emotional waypoints and then try and write something similar? Like, yeah. I was really wondering how they come up with that. Because that's, I've never heard of that before. And that's super yeah. interesting. I, I didn't know that was a thing either. I had no idea. My audition for House of Cards, all of this is about House of Cards and the Punisher, but my House of Cards audition, when I got the audition, it was literally just one page, but it had been photocopied and you could see that there were, there were um, cut marks, like physical, like scissor cut marks and tape marks to create this one page scene. And I didn't understand exactly what was going on. So you have to do as an actor what you were given as this material. And they don't want you to improv and stuff like that. It's written for a reason. So I went in and based on the information that I had for this House of Cards audition, I was a, a, a U.S. senator or I was, um, I was running for president. And I was on this show, it turned out to be the Meredith Vieira show. And I was talking about the fact that I had this, my, my male lover was a uh, a banker. And I got in and I did the thing as a U.S. Senator. And Julie stopped me after the first take. And she said, I'm so sorry. She said, I, you did exactly what you were given. And she said, I have to apologize because I had to cut out. There's another person in the scene, but I had to cut all of their dialogue out because they wouldn't allow me to, to 
release the entire scene to you. So what you are seeing is bits and pieces of their dialogue thrown in with your dialogue. <laughs> so you assumed that you were the senator to which this whole thing was revolving. And I was like, I'm really confused, but I ended up getting that job, which was crazy. And James Foley was my director for that, who directed um, the uh, oh, uh, the Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Amazing, amazing director. Mm-hmm. Again, how in the hell are they making decisions? How do you as a director know this is my person? Have you That's, ever, yeah. but you've never put a, an actor in a situation where you're giving them sides that have nothing to do with the actual shoot itself. No, I have no idea. I, I really, I'm not sure. Like, I guess it's, you know, it goes down <laughs> right? to that thing. I mean, I, I have no idea how you would do that. But I mean, I guess it goes down to that thing when you are in casting. I do have sat on the other side of the table quite often. And you know, you know, they tell you when you're in acting school that you know when people walk in the room and you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, it sounds <laughs> like it's so harsh, but there, you kind of do. Like, you know, you know yeah. within the first 15 seconds if there's somebody that it's that it's going to work or not, or you like right. that you want to see more. And it's not ever really usually about something somebody's done wrong. It's right. about the things that they possess in themselves, like the energy that they bring to the room, the way they talk and all that. So I'm sure that, you know, that has to be something in there. I'd love sure. to learn more about that. So yeah. I'm going to try and track someone down to find out about that. Um, it is an but- interesting, interesting little dilemma. I want to go back to you were talking about the Punisher and crying mm-hmm. for five hours and all of that. Yeah. And that it was a really, really, really heightened emotional scene that you were doing yeah. or some of those um, yeah. specifically. How how was it? How do you stay primed to do that across a day? Because that's a you know, that's a long time to have to stay in that emotional state. That is. Um, and uh, this was the second time I'd had the opportunity to do something like this on camera. Um, I did an episode, my very first episode, the show's been on for 19 years, Law and Order. I did my first episode of Law and Order and I played the bad guy, which was awesome. And he has this emotional breakdown at the end of the day. And it was awesome. It's the very first time I'd ever been able to like do that. That wasn't comedy, Um, you know, (laughs) that heightened drama. So then uh, I get the Punisher and I have the experience of having done that kind of literal emotional breakdown at the end of Law and Order. So I had that bit of experience to pull with me, but this was different because this was, I was a victim in this situation. I was, I was not the pursuer. I was, I was being pursued at that point and he's scared and he's out of his element. And he, which is one of the hardest, one of the hardest things to do being out of power and not pursuing. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So it's, and it's terrifying when you convince yourself that this is really happening to you because that's the only way in my opinion as an actor that it's going to be believable for the audience so that morning when i was getting makeup done in the makeup trailer and i said can i ask you a question real fast and she said yeah i said um have you ever put makeup on somebody who is actively crying before and she said oh um no i haven't but here's the thing you need to do your job and I need to do mine. So whatever it takes for you to do your job, I will step up to the plate and I will do mine. And don't worry about me. And it was a very human moment between two, <laughs> two people who do, were going to be doing two very different things for that, that five and a half hours. So I get to the set and I have to work myself up. And it's a series of like, you're attaching yourself to the material. You're putting yourself in the world of this, this character and understanding the emotional weight that goes behind it. You're bringing back a little bit of your own personal, whatever made you the most sad kind of thing. And um, 
you're trying to maintain that throughout your day. And the very first time I came out, we were shooting in a, in a mobile home. And so um, I came out of the mobile home just for a makeup touch up and I'm sweaty and I'm gross and I've got blood everywhere and I'm crying and, and um, she did it. She never said anything. She touched me up. She did a, a couple of things and then she put her hands down in front of her and she looked up at my face and she said very quietly, are you okay? And I, I, I'm so like, I'm a mess while I'm, while she's doing it. And I said, yeah, yeah. She goes, okay, good job. And she turned around and she walked away and that was it. So from that moment on, we had this thing that she knew what she was in for. And it was really nice to have a female energy there. In some way, it felt very comforting to me, which then allowed me to go even a little bit further because I knew that I had, this is weird to talk about, but I knew I had a safety net in my makeup woman because she was so kind and she treated me so gently knowing that I had to do something so incredibly difficult inside of the mobile home. And that made it easier for me. That made it, it, it was nice to know that there was some safe place that I could go, that I could escape just enough to feel like me again. She did her thing. And then I would go back in and do it all over again. And it was, it was hard. It was the hardest thing I've ever done. The Punisher is by far the hardest job I've ever had. And I was there for two and a half months. And that was, it was a challenge. And, and not every day was, you know, crying like five and a half hours, but it was, it was really emotionally the most taxing job I've ever had. And when that job was over, this is something that you, I would love to hear your take on this as well. My final shoot day was the worst emotional break for this, this character. He's um, given some information that he didn't know that literally breaks him. And it was two days after the shoot was all over, I was at home and I realized that I was so super depressed, super depressed. And I realized that I was still carrying the shit that from the set that it was so heavy for me and so real and so desperate and sad that I had a really hard time shaking it. I mean, I didn't know that that was a thing for actors. I didn't know that we could carry around the sadness and the depression and the, the pain from what it is that we do. Do you have some, as a director, do you have some type of hangover that happens after you're, you're finished with a, with a project? Like, cause uh, I imagine, I mean, your, your <laughs> hours, right? Your hours as a director are so much longer than they are for us as, as actors. Like you're, you're in pre-production and then you're doing the shoot and then you've got to edit for three months. And like, that's a huge long process. Do you experience something as a, as a director that you have a hard time shaking at times? You know, I think it, yes. And it's not usually individual scenes. It's usually things that I think I could have done better, usually mm. in prep or in imagination. Uh, the things that get me are my, what I feel like are my lack of imagination on in tough situations. Like uh, if I, you know, have an idea tomorrow, how I could have improved that scene yesterday and that hangover lasts with me forever. Um, you know, like, or pieces where, you know, uh, this segment should have been different or we should have done this and that, that and that never leaves like that it makes it that's one reason i don't like to jump into an edit right after we shoot um obviously if you're doing television you have no option you're going right in um but if you're you know if you're shooting a film that's you know i know several directors that that i've spoken to that like to just step away from it for a bit and that's me really? too. I've, I've made like edits like right away of like short films immediately afterwards because I think I'm fresh on the coverage and then I'll come back to it say, and I'll be super depressed and sad. And like that's I've like we did the short film Bang Bang, which is a Western and it's a Western 
clown comedy. It's, it's it's ridiculous, but I'm really, really proud of it. It's really fun. It's basically it. That's awesome. Um, yeah. And, um, but I remember doing the first cut of it and I just text my, you know, my colleagues and been like, I'm sorry guys, I fucked this one up. I'm like, I totally, I missed it like this. I didn't do it. We put all these resources in here. We're all here and it's, it's on me. It's nobody else's fault. And I was super, super sad for like a week. Oh my and then God, yeah, I didn't come back to it for like two months and then totally redid it. And I think it's one of the best things I've ever directed. That <laughs> like is a, amazing. So it what takes a huge success story. That is. Yeah. It's so, I mean, yes, the answer is yes. Now for actors, I, I, I think it's really tough with television because in theater, I would approach that from the beginning and take those scenes from more of a Boleslavsky background than a Stanislavsky. Sure. So Absolutely. in other words, imagining like learning once somebody has something that's actually traumatizing or hitting, uh, hitting a true true note but from yeah. the wrong reason the right moment but for the wrong process reason mm. yes that in theater it would take a different approach to it i'd step back sure. and say let's imagine this character from this way and let's imagine so the boleslavsky technique basically is as i remember it i'm going to bastardize it but basically is you know if you're a killer it's the same as you killing a mosquito like that kind of thing imagining other areas that you can that are not damaging to you personally. You're not imagining self trauma or, you know, you're not pushing these things from your past into your active stuff anyway. Yes. But for film film, I mean, it happens all the time. It happens in every emotional scene farther, go more, dig deeper, give me more, one more time, one more time, a little bit more. And then, yeah. okay, now take 10 and we're going to come back and do it again for the uh, coverage. And so, so I don't really have an answer for that for actors. I can see that being a big problem because when you need to do it right now and the pressure's on, especially like a big show, like the Punisher, right. all this money, every minute is just flowing out and everyone's sitting here staring at you. You know, yeah. you have, that's also higher ability, right? You, you feel yeah. you must deliver that. So right. I'm not certain. And that's a good thing to take away from here that I want to think about a little bit more, because how can I be better as a process director to help actors in that moment, rather than just pushing and breaking the character and pushing into self? How can I be, that's like, that would be one of those lack, that would be something that would hang over for me, for instance. Like if I'd done that to an actor and they told me two days later, they're still having trouble shaking it. Yeah, I would. That would hang with me because I'd be like, that's a problem of imagination on my part. It's like because I I pushed someone rather than enabling someone, you know, as an actor, I. This is my own personal take on what you just said. I wouldn't want you to change anything because, as I said earlier, every single person on a set or every single person in any type of production, we're all working towards the same goal. I would never hold you responsible for getting a performance out of me that you think is worthy of the material that I'm trying to shoot. That's my bullshit to deal with offset. And if I'm going to share that with you, I am making the conscious choice to put some of that on you. That's not your problem. That's not your, I need you to give me a performance that I hired you to give me. That you and I differ in that because, I, and that's coming from the actor standpoint. I want you to push me as far as when some, and my director for Law and Order said to me, I want you to take this as far as you can take it. The very first thing that I thought as he said that and he turned around and walked away was, You're going to regret saying that because now I'm going to go. Now you've given me permission to push this as far as I can take it. And my goal is to make this as uncomfortable to watch as humanly possible. That's my goal. <laughs> That's your fault. That's on you. And I'm, I look at that stuff from Law and & Order and I'm like, yeah, I'm proud of that. 
I'm really proud of that. So I carried some of that with me in my toolbox to the Punisher. And that was my, honestly, that's the one thing that I thought for two and a half months, I have to make this as uncomfortable to watch as humanly possible. Because I know that's the only way that I'm going to believe as an audience member that David Schultz, the character that I played on the show, is actually going through what he's going through. That's not on you as a director. I disagree with that completely. And I, I understand from an emotional standpoint, you're a human being that, yeah, I'm going to, I feel bad that two days after the shoot, I made you feel like shit, but uh, I got the performance I wanted out of you. And I'm really proud of that. Like that's, that's what would, <laughs> that would be the first thought that would go through my mind. That's not your responsibility. We have responsibilities as actors to protect ourselves in whatever way we need to do that. Some people choose to do that by numbing their feelings, by drugs and alcohol or sex or shopping or whatever that is. That's their problem. That's the way they deal with it. I have very little sympathy for that because that's their method. I don't blame you, nor would I ever blame you for getting a performance out of me that I ultimately am going to go, holy shit, that was, I've never done that before. And I want to thank you for that. That would be my reaction to you. Not, hey, by the way, two days after the shoot, I was really, I was on the, on the verge of jumping off the top of my roof. That's not your responsibility. I, agree, I disagree. I could not disagree more because you have a lot of responsibilities. I understand what it's like to be in control of all of those people and to be making all of the decisions and all of that weight coming to land on your shoulders. I have one job. It's your job to make me do my job. Great. I understand that. You need to get out of me what you need to get out of me. As long as we understand what the ground rules are, I can't hold you responsible for that, for my emotional well-being. I'd have to say that that actress may not be emotionally stable enough <laughs> <laughs> to be doing that kind of material. That's honestly my reaction to that. And I, I feel bad in, in a lot of ways for saying that. But no, I, I don't think you should feel bad. I, I think that that's just, you know, that's just part of human nature, just part of the process. too. Absolutely. So I think the thing that would bother me about it. And because I hear what you're saying and I respect what you're saying entirely and I appreciate what you're saying. I think it's the difference between what I want to do is in super emotional and super tight and hard scenes like that. And especially things where you're pushing someone very emotionally. I want to walk right up to the brink of the edge of breaking and look over the side and see what's in the abyss. I don't yes. want to push someone over the edge. So I think that that is the difference because mm. I think especially in those intense moments and these intense scenes, if you push and push and push and push and push and push, you obviously need to push and you need to push far, but you also have to have a sense of where that line is because you can come at it in a different way. You can take a break and come again and get the performance you need without breaking someone. And I think that sure. is what I'm taking issue with. And I think if you have two days where it's hard to shake, that is, that's a, you know what I mean? That that's that might be one thing where I would be uncomfortable at that point. I'd be like, we should have prepped this more and spent more time endowing props, endowing smells, endowing. There are hundreds of ways and every person's different to get yeah. that. Um, and you know what I mean? And I think that that that's what I'm taking. I think I would take issue with, you know, I, I like got that. it. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. So, um, Todd. Yeah. <laughs> Where can people like, what are you up to now? Where can people find you? 
Um, I'm actually doing a lot of workshops. Um, I taught one yesterday for kids um, in Columbus, Ohio, of all places. Um, I went to school at Otterbein University, which is 20 minutes outside of Columbus. So this was a, a college friend of mine. She's running the kids department of this uh, summer theater camp um, in Ohio. And she asked me if I would teach a workshop for 11 to 16 year olds. There were 16 of them. So we did a two hour workshop. Then I'm doing another workshop next Thursday for a group up in Connecticut, all thanks to Zoom. Um, and I've done two other workshops thanks to Zoom. Um, so I do a lot of that. I, I, I work with as many actors as are interested in hearing my opinion um, on things and hearing my stories. And I, the only thing that I want in return is for them to feel like they have a little bit of a stronger grasp on this business. Because I, when I first started out, it was really hard for me. I didn't have a mentor. I didn't have, there was no one from my class. There was no one from the class before mine in New York City. I was completely by myself and I was terrified. I didn't know how to start as an actor. And that was, that was a, a scarring, jarring, unbelievably educational period in my life. So at this point in my life, I would like to help as many actors as I can to take the mystery out of this, to, to, to answer the questions that, that you've never been able to answer before. So I hold these workshops. Um, I don't charge for them, um, but uh, that's, it just means more to me that people feel a little bit better about themselves in this business than, um, than they did when they went in. <laughs> um, <laughs> another thing, these paintings um, that if you're listening to the oh, podcast, yeah. you, you can't see the paintings, but I paint. Um, that started about a year and a half ago. Um, so I was, I had the groundwork laid for all of the paintings. And then um, during this quarantine, I've, I've been able to, to churn out a bunch of them. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how I occupy my time. Most of the time is, is I cook and I, I do the paintings and I do workshops and um, I have conversations like this, not as in depth as this at times, but um, yeah, I love to talk about this stuff. Yeah, that's great. What about any, do you have any films or places people should go check out your work? Um, uh, that's an excellent question. I, there's a, a short film that speaking of independent films is the most intense experience I've ever had on any set besides the Punisher and the film in its entirety, including the opening and closing credits is less than three minutes. And it was one of the most beautiful experiences I've ever had because it was so intense and it was literally just one moment that changed someone's life. And you just see that moment happen and that's it. It's a very simple, quiet thing. It's a film that that's um, it's on Vimeo, uh, which is the only place you can find it. It's called first night out. And I play a transgender woman and first night out is uh, an indication it, the, uh, that it is this woman's, first night out anywhere dressed as how she feels on the inside. And so she's in a, in a diner and the waitress and she have this moment and it is the most beautiful, quiet, lovely thing I've ever done. So different from the Punisher. Um, but uh, <laughs> It sounds lovely. Yeah. I've I'm, 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 I'm really got to check it out. That sounds yeah, awesome. It's, the whole thing is less than three minutes. And it's, it's this trophy moment for this person who is going through some stuff. And um, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing. It's, it's one of my proudest achievements because I, I put a lot of pressure on myself to get it right. I didn't want to mess it up. 
and that's where they can find it. Go to Vimeo and, and type in First Night Out, um, and um, that will be the film. It's, it's a do- film done by Will Mayo, is the name of the director, and he actually won. He entered it in all of these gay and lesbian festivals across the country and across the world, and ended up winning this $50,000 grand prize for this film that is less than three minutes long. It's like 245 or something like that. Wow. So f- 50 grand for you know less than three minutes. That's amazing. Yeah. What, was, what about your uh, Instagram? Where can people follow you on uh, social? Uh, uh, it's at Todd Allen Crane, A-L-A-N-C-R-A-I-N. That's uh, and, and you can follow my paintings at Todd Allen Crane Art Studio. Yeah, that's, uh, that's me. That's my journey. Well, thanks for uh, taking the time to chat with me, Todd. This has been Absolutely. a lot of fun. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it very much. Filmmaking is a collaborative experience, and so is this podcast. Follow us on Instagram at framework underscore productions for upcoming episode announcements and leave your questions in the comments for our future guests. Please take a second to subscribe so you know about future episodes and leave a review. It really does help us. For more information about today's guest, visit independentfilmmakersguide.com. IFG is a community and we want to help you in your filmmaking process. Hi, I'm Audrey McHale, an editor from New York City, and I'm reading the credits. IFG is created by Framework Productions. This episode was directed by James Allardyce, produced and edited by Matt Mundy and Audrey Ray McHale, and hosted by Stephen Pierce. The music is by Glassboy. Find his music on freemusicarchive.org. See and listen to all the episodes plus bonus content at independentfilmmakersguide.com. Thanks for listening. Hey friends, we just wanted to take a quick moment to talk about two personal things. First, we wanted to thank you, our listening community and our wonderful guests, learning so much together along the way and continuing to learn, sharing our stories, making a lot of new friends and collaborating, which is exactly what this is all about, which also brings me to my second point. In great part to many of these new relationships, we wanted to let you know that we've taken a lot of this advice ourselves and made our own narrative feature film, Heard, H-E-R-D, Heard, which is premiering this October on Friday the 13th in select theaters as well as on VOD. Personally, I think it's the perfect kind of scary movie to watch during our favorite scary season. So we'd love for you to celebrate with us and watch Heard. You can pre-order it on Apple TV, and of course, do the communal thing, see it in theaters. Of course, for all of this, please see our show notes, but basically, we're going to keep it all updated at herd.film. That's H-E-R-D dot F-I-L-M, herd.film as well. Thank you again. And be sure to give us a rating and a review over on Apple Podcasts so we can continue to build this community and collaborate. IFG, how movies get made.